I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Hi right, folks, how are you today today? Let me the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now before we begin, I must know that I am not a doctor or psychiatrist. If your son or daughter is diagnosed with autism, please see a physician, at least based on my experiences. I'll start on the right to the intro natural there, found on danielbooking.com and mediafiresound.com. Also, I have a mission I'd like to review with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the negative stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think are disabilities. People on the spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or abilities are not to be pitied. There's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some people I like to thank. I'd like to start by mentioning my most recent guest, Ben Waits, in C226, following faith with Ben Waits for more information, who is incredibly humble and wise. Ben, thank you very much, my friend. I've been getting a lot of fan mail for Cutthroat Kitchen because I've got another one. I spoke with Chef L'Oreal, who is from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I am from. I appreciate L'Oreal. It was wonderful to meet you. I gave a speech at the Center for Autism and Related Disabilities 30th Annual Conference three weeks ago. Since my breakout speech sold out, attendees had to sit on the floor. I encourage folks to snap a picture and purchase ARAR products after the session. My sincere gratitude to Judith Samuels for the invitation. We had a great time. Along with that, we reconnected with our pals from SEEK, which stands for Social Engagement Enterprise at Kelly. I can now confirm that SEEK and ARAR are putting together a program for internships. Please send us an email for your interest in assisting. Due to our monthly board meeting on Wednesday, the meetings continued. We accomplished a lot during this productive meeting and preparation for our upcoming annual gala and ARAR summer party. More information on these events will soon be added, so keep an eye out for them. I participated in two networking events before this episode. First, I went to a business-related one put on by Consulting BPO. After that, I went to a different clubhouse where a podcast talk dubbed Podcast Morning Chat was taking place. I am really glad I found them since I've connected with some incredible people. And since the last episode, I've been on several podcasts. I was on the Nowhere to Go Up podcast with Sean Dustin, Leap of Health podcast with Alex Ballgood, and Get Cracking Lab podcast with Mark Bent cover. Such fantastic podcasts, everyone. Now, folks, we right back. We're in here and add from the barn on Maryland Ridge, so let's get to it. There is a hidden gym in Eastern Green County folks, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch, and the Barn on Maryland Ridge Wedding Barn. Autism Rocks and Rolls is very proud to tell you about our friends Perry and Renee Fowler and their place of business. Both Fowler Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge is a relaxing drive approximately 15 minutes from the heart of Bloomington, Indiana, and an hour south of Indianapolis. You can find them at 5347 South Green County Line Road, Bloomington, Indiana, 47403. The property has numerous picture locations, including several rolling fields fields, antique tractors, red and rustic barns, trees, and much more. Customized wedding packages are offered on their website. The surrounding area also provides several hotels in which to have your guests stay for your destination wedding. Also, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch is a family-owned and operated seasonal pumpkin patch. It's the perfect place to take your family for some fall fun. Enjoy picking out pumpkins, hay rides, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Call the Fowlers today at 812-327-4895 or 812-325-6022. All right, folks, we're back. And yes, you definitely hear the words I do at this wedding barn. Now, today's topic is going to be an amplification, I guess is what you call, of the conversation episode. C-1115 conversation operation for more information. This episode is not going to be about the conversing with the verbal language. It's going to be about the communication with the non-speaking language that we all use when we're trying to say a message without speaking. And this is very tricky, but not just tricky. It's, it's change of luck, luck, time is tricky, tricky, tricky. All right, but anyway, it is so tricky to find out because there's different meanings. There's different interpretations, and those interpretations can screw us up if we get it wrong. It's not where you can take it back and be like, oh, okay, I messed up. Time to reel out the fish. No, it's not that at all. It's 
You take it in, and if the message is wrong, the fish bites your nose. We don't want to do that, but we're afraid of doing it because we might get our nose bit off if we convey the wrong message to the wrong person and not mean to without speaking. And if we do it without speaking, sometimes it's even saying a bigger statement because I'm a very situational case where actions speak louder than words. And communication does say actions speak louder than words. Point because... You're saying something without speaking. And if you say the wrong thing without speaking, some people are like they'd rather say it to your face than hide it behind their back. Now, some aren't like that. Some kind of prefer behind the back than your face. But I know lots of people like myself are, you say it to my face, don't hide anything from me. And if you do hide it from me with non-speaking communication, then yes, it kind of pushes our buttons. Now, the definition of communication is, it is the attempt to transfer information without speaking and figuring out what message they are conveying. And I do like the phrase figuring out because that is something that we have to do. And I don't like doing it, but we need to do it. And I'm the type of person who will not be like, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You tell me what it means. Tell me what it means. I'm not that type of person. But I will be like, okay, I'll try and see if I can figure out what this message means. But if I don't know, I really don't know. And I really did try. I'm not going to lie to you and say I didn't try when I really, really did. And I'm not going to be that type of person who's going to throw in the towel that easily. I want to try. I want to challenge myself because communication is a challenge. But if I don't know, I really don't know. You got to tell me. If we can't figure it out with communicating, let's figure it out with conversing and you can tell me what you meant. It's no big deal. We don't get mad at each other, at least where I'm from, if we tell someone what we actually meant. This is a challenge for those on the autism spectrum because it is so much easier for someone to say what they want or do. No one should have to play the guessing game to figure out what someone is trying to not only converse, but communicate. Because I'll be realistic with you. Sometimes those on the spectrum have to look at a conversation and re-examine it to figure out, okay, is this what they meant? Or do they mean this? Or what's going on here with this situation? But now you're asking us to do it with communication as well. And we speak with communication too. I mean, come on. That's kind of, I think, unrealistic to ask us to look at both sides of the book. And I'm wondering, is it too much? Now, it may not be. Maybe society thinks it's not too much. But those in the spectrum wondering, is it too much? Because I personally think it is. Because you're asking us to look at every situation, at every part. We can't look at every part of the communication aspect and conversation aspect. We can look at one part, but when you add the communication and conversation together, it equals disastrous, my friend. And the reason why is pretty simple, and that is dun-dun-dun, overwhelmingness. And it's so overwhelming because it's too much of a test. You're looking at A, B, C, D, but we're looking at A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And when that's too much of the alphabet to look at, you can't be all aspects so you have to look at one part or two or five but you can't look at more than that because it comes so much and we shut down i mean it's something that's neurological and another reason why it is a pain is others are adding to our conversing challenges because like i said earlier we do have some conversation issues and some mix-ups but now you're expecting us to topple some communication skills with the conversing skills? I mean, do you expect us to have super minds for these things? I'm really wondering that because if that's the case, that is not possible because those on the spectrum do not have super minds with social situations. They have a mind for it, but it's not a super mind with it. And I'm wondering, 
are you adding too much to our burger? And I'm wondering if you're adding too much ketchup or mustard when in reality, it's not the perfect amount. I mean, the other side stays where it is, but once I leaks, it's too much. So I'm wondering if we add too much, does our brains leak? And that's probably a question for the doctors, but it's definitely something to examine if we want to know that answer. I'm wondering if we overanalyze because it is so much to add when in reality, it doesn't have to be too much to add. It is even harder if there is what is called a social disconnection. Now, there are two definitions of a social disconnection, but my definition is a little bit different. My definition of a social disconnection is when people use different languages. I don't mean languages with English, French, Spanish. That's for later on. But I mean language and their speaking. So, for example, there are some people out there who have used the word reckon. And reckon means guess. Why not use the I guess instead of I reckon? I don't understand that. And that's really hard for me to do is when there's different languages and different barriers. And I'm trying to understand the meaning, but I'll be honest with you, I don't. And there's even another story. My grandfather in C-122, Meet Big Joe for all the listeners, he told me all the time, go get that thing on the island. But what's the island? Because when you say island, I envision a tropical island with a bunch of natives, to be honest with you. So when you say island table... What do you mean? That's the first time I ever heard of that before. And he kept saying it till I got in, but I did get it. But my point is you need to kind of say what you mean so I don't have a social disconnection to where I misunderstand and it could have easily been avoided. That's my definition, but if you want to learn the proper definition, look at the first article below from Spectrum News to read what society deems a social disconnection. Now, I would like to pound an autism misconception. What I would like to pound is that we use the term nonverbal. We need to stop using that term. The reason why is that even if they do not speak, they are saying something. And I was like that. I kept using nonverbal in my papers, in my language, but it all changed at the Griffin promised autism clinic during one of my speaking engagements because she said they are speaking still even if they are not using their verbal language because in my opinion that made sense because in the year 2022 you don't need your voice to communicate there are other tools and there's a difference too that she explained non-verbal means that they can't say anything at all and they can't even communicate with you at all. They're just in the bed and staying still. But non-speaking just means they just don't speak, but they could still say something to you with non-speaking communication. And as an autism advocate, I have to fight with society to get through their heads that they're using non-verbal in the wrongest way possible. And they really are because they are saying something. They're trying to tell you that they want the popcorn or they want your attention. Sometimes non-speaking communication is more than just the sounds they make. There's so much more. You just need to hear and look in to the meaning of what they're trying to say. It can sometimes even be a harder time if there is a major cultural difference. Some of the reasons that involve their cultural difference is the language and the accent because I was mentioning this earlier and this can be really hard if you're not bilingual because if you don't know the language that they're trying to say, then you really don't know. And I'm not talking about what I said earlier with the language barrier. I'm talking about like actual language with the Spanish, the English, and the French. Because if you don't know that, you really don't know. And you're basically screwed when you try to communicate with them. And the only thing you do is tap them on the shoulder, give them a thumbs up, and you can't really speak because they don't know what you're saying. And it's not their fault. There's just a language and accent barrier that is hard to follow and hard to really comprehend at a fast pace. Another reason why it could involve a hard time is scammers. And 
And this is so true, but scammers are the best liars because they're real people, but they want to get your money and they're going to try to do it by hacking your account or scamming your butt for money. And it's really hard to figure out if they are because they are real people, but they're also very persuasive and someone on Spectrum can easily fall for that. And most are outside of the country. So when that kind of takes a toll on us, it's really hard to figure out, okay, are they scamming us? Are they trying to be a good person? Because there are people out there who just want to be our friends. But then there are some who are looking to do some bad business with us. And I can't tell the difference between doing bad business and trying to be your friend. But as I've gotten older, I'm able to figure it out. So maturity is definitely a solution. But another way is that there's anything for money with it, stop the conversations and don't communicate with them anymore. Another reason why it could be really hard is weird requests from other countries. And there are some who are scared and there are some who are just weird requests that are accepted by their country. But if we're asking America, they would be like, what are you asking? That's just kind of odd, dude. They might think we're scamming us, but in reality, they're just trying to be a nice person and our friends. So when you ask weird requests, that kind of throws us off for a loophole because of where I'm from. Now, if I was from Nigeria, it might be a little different. But where I'm from, sometimes I get questions like, uh, okay. But then some questions are reasonably acceptable, which is most part. So the solution is look at the accepting questions more. And if it is kind of an odd question, just answer it the best of your capability because they're just trying to be nice and you don't need to be mean to them. However, it can be hard where I am in the United States of America. So real quickly, USA, USA, USA. Anyway, some of the factors we might analyze before communicating in America is the environment. And this is a big one too, because I know a lot of people who are on the spectrum cannot look at their environment and just think, okay, I'm acting this way the way I do at home. But some who are in the middle, high functioning can can get that, but it's really hard to do because it's so much easier to act the same way I do at home. For example, I like to rub my back on the wall a lot because I have a back itch. Well, I can't go into public and scratch my back on the wall because it seems odd and I get looked. So the environment is definitely a key factor. And the environment's the biggest one because it determines your reputation. You don't want to be the guy known who scratches his back on the wall in public. You you want to be known as a blue collar person so you got to figure out what personalities do you have and what works for me is okay i have the business sam where he doesn't talk much versus the outgoing sam where he talks a lot so you have to be picky on what you do and what you are doing at places because you don't want to rub anyone the wrong way and if you're fit for that environment you might be invited or get to come back another reason why it can be hard in america is different generations and this is true because people were born at different times we weren't born on the same day some people were born in the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the 90s, and they grew up in different generations. And there's some times where generation mixtures get confused. So for example, apparently someone back in the day used to use the word rad. Well, today we use the word lit. And that's just scratching the surface with that example. But another story I could think of for this is my grandfather told me a story and he was like, ha ha ha, ah, oh, like funny. But to me, I was like, okay, whatever. So it definitely wasn't funny, but in his generation, it would have been. So that's another issue right there is people were born on different days and grew up in different eras. Some stuff funny back then is not funny now, but there are some stuff that are still funny today. So definitely not look at the generation and maybe study and see what was funny back then and back and today so you can fit in what the generation and what they said and their expressions on how they communicated verbally and non-verbally. And a suggestion for the parents with the generation aspect is don't try to turn your child into a the same generation you were born boy or girl. And what I mean by this is don't try to teach them some of your generation stuff that you know will not make them fit in today. 
today. Let them explore today's generation a little bit. Now, obviously, you could say, you know, back in the day, son, but I wouldn't say that too often because it's too much and you might turn them into the wrong generation and they might think from a different era. So definitely try to make them fit in with today's generation, but also you can use some of the skills you used back then with communicating. Another reason why it might be hard to communicate is gender. And this is true because I learned this from my communications class, but men and women communicate differently and here's how. Men tend to be direct and to the point. And they use a lot of metaphors such as, man, he missed that by a mile. And women communicate through their emotions and kind of him honder around the point though. And they use a lot of similes. So they might say, man, I feel as pretty as a princess tonight. But that's how they communicate differently. Let's tell you this. Most people on the spectrum will communicate with one gender better or the other. Communicating with the other gender might be a little hard. Now, sometimes it's hard for both because they're lost sometimes. So my best idea for this is try to show them that both genders love them no matter what gender they are. And that goes for parents and for people outside of the family. The final reason why it might be hard to communicate is emotions. And in America, at least, emotions can sometimes dictate how we are feeling because if we're happy, we're going to have a lot more patience. And if we're sad or angry or frustrated, we might not have a lot of patience. That's just the way it is where I'm from. And it is hard to determine because we want to know how you're feeling truly. And there's no middle ground of frustrated, angry. It doesn't exist in our dictionary. It exists where it lies. So for me, I'm either happy or I'm sad. It is basically you're happy or you're sad. No middle ground. That's how emotions are, in my opinion. But it's hard to see that, okay, there are other emotions that aren't just happy and sad. So for those who are on the spectrum, you need to figure out those emotions and find out what they are communicating to you. It is possible. You just need to really, really look at the face and understand the feeling of what they're trying to communicate by saying the emotion uh, that they are having. Also, I will say this. A lot of people on the spectrum are the best counselors out there because they will listen. And even if they're not listening, they can pretend really well. So you can at least get your tangent out. So just something to think about right there. Furthermore, it is hard when someone with autism does speaking or not speaking communication and one of the two people take it the wrong way. Like miscommunications happen in conversations. It can happen in communication. This has happened to me endless and endless amount of times. But that's for another podcast because those stories would take all night long. But I'll tell you this, each time I miscommunicate it's an awful feeling because all I really did was vomit out skunk spray because it wasn't the right thing. It was all just awful, smelly, nasty. And I know that it's not easy to do because we want to communicate and we want to say the right things, but we got to, well, we're analyzing and making sure that it's the right because if we go over analyzing with the bar, it might just be like, okay, you know what? We're saying it. I can't take it anymore. It itches. And I mean that literally. But anyway, it really is not the best feeling. And we do not try to miscommunicate, even in communication, because we want to make you feel good. We want to be the nice person that we are. And we want to communicate the proper way. But there are just some messages out there that, that get really, really mixed up. And it just goes away into a cookie crumble. And the cookie crumble can't be reformed into a cookie. So when it crumbles too much we feel lost we don't know what to do but thankfully there are some great people out there so for the people with with autism make sure that you're with the right people and the most forgiving people possible because they will understand what you've been through and they want to try to help you out so make sure you're with the right crowd after a miscommunication happens there's sometimes a sense of uncomfortableness or awkwardness i do not have that from a, a personal standpoint i do not see but why I turn a miscommunication into an f1 tornado because when we get this uncomfortableness and senselessness of confusion we're like uh okay i'm gonna go somewhere else now 
because this is really awkward. Why does it have to be like that? Can't we just help each other and just be like, oh, okay, here, I didn't mean like this. I meant this. Because that's nicer and we can actually help each other out. So why are we not being nice and helping each other out, being at peace together with the harmony? And I don't even see why we get frustrated at it because miscommunications is unavoidable and inevitable. So why are we getting mad at each other for it? It's probably just easier to help someone out than get frustrated at them for miscommunicating, wouldn't you say? Now, I'd like to refer to something I said in the conversation episode, and for the listeners, you can also see that out. Again, 1115, conversation operation. But something I said in the conversation episode is an issue that we have is when we use the same format and language as everybody. It is also the same way with the other side of the lawn. The other side of the lawn looks like someone actually caring, looking at the situation while looking into the book too much. So which side do you pick? That choice is up to you. But there's a big pro and con with not caring and caring. Not caring is... My, which is my side, and I kind of am biased, obviously, but if you like your side, that's cool, but my side involves the pro is feeling relaxed, but the cause you might make some enemies, because while I don't care what others think of me while communicating, and I have my barriers, I still just don't care, and I feel relaxed, I feel at ease, but I know I might say something wrong and make an enemy, and I'm willing to take that risk, because I have to do it for my mental health. But the other side, if you care or think of you, there's no enemies, but you're stressed with high anxiety. And if we, as we know, in the anxiety episode, seeing 109 autistic butterflies more information, anxiety can be a real pain. So which side do you pick? Do you care about others? Have your mental health deteriorate? Or have your mental health in good shape? Have other people's thoughts on you deteriorate? And it's a hard choice because one does have to go. And it's not an easy choice. You're losing one, but you're winning another one. It's a win-lose situation, but what do you want to lose? And it's hard to pick. I'll be 100% honest with you. One lawn has to get mowed. And the reason why the lawn has to get mowed is realistically, you can't make everybody happy when conversing, but mainly when you're communicating. You have to basically either choose to communicate you want and blow up the dynamite, or you have to defuse the dynamite and hold back a little. But which one do you pick? I don't know, because you can't make everyone happy. You just realistically can't do that. So do you really care about yourself and be self-centered and make yourself happy? Or do you really care about others and really dive into that and try not to get enemies, but have that anxiety of like, oh, am I saying this wrong? Uh. Uh, uh, when in reality you don't have to so it's a hard choice but I know it's possible to pick and I know I made my choice and I know I live with maybe making some enemies every day and some not liking me but I had to do it for my mental sanity and I feel better and I'm glad I did because it was worth it at the end of the day but if caring is what you want to do as well I totally understand but just know that your mental health might not be in the best shape but if you want to make others happy hey that means you're probably a lot better of a person than me now lots of parents try to help by telling their child to read the room and I appreciate the effort of helping I hate to say this, but that may not be possible for some. Reading the room is not possible for some and maybe a little even unreasonable because they can't mentally do that. I can't expect someone on low functioning or middle functioning to read the full room because that may not be humanly possible. They can't look at every detail and even high functioning sometimes cannot look at every detail. They try to and I think they're doing their best where some end in a good result, but I know with me reading the room can also sometimes end in a bad result. But in my opinion, what is rational is to look at the room. And there is a difference between looking at the room and reading the room. Looking at the room means you're just over-skimming it, and you're like, oh, okay, click, time to shift it. But reading the room means you're asking to look at every detail. I wonder if you could put reading in the room down in the trash and shriek it down to look at the room, because that might be humanly more possible for them to say, oh... Okay, I can just skim. I can look what's going on. I can switch it now. Now I'll explain the next part of this episode, which is actually the non-communication part of this episode. So according to betterup.com, there are eight parts of nonverbal communication. And today I'm going to tell you the eight parts that were on the website 
So that's what I'll tell you why it is hard. So it will go like this. The episode will be part zero, non-speaking part, why it's hard, any stories behind it, the tools you can use, and he also like to say about the non-speaking part of the communication and any resources. So here we go. The first one is facial expressions. It is the muscles are in the skin of the face move or are in a certain position. Now the reason why this is hard is people always look mad. And this is so true because sometimes we can't smile. We can't be all smiling. Ah, hey, ah, ah. And show our teeth all the time because that looks really ridiculous sometimes. It's hard to tell what they mean if they just have that face. And some facial expressions are the same, but they're different means. So each facial expression is the same, but then there are different means behind the expression. And I can get ahead of myself. So I'm a type of person who likes to overanalyze. And I am so scared of not getting the right expression, I try to look ahead. And most of the part, it doesn't work on me. And I'm trying to work on it, but it's really hard to do when you're so scared of the next facial expression coming ahead your way. And another reason is it can be fake. Because there are a lot of people out there who are very deceptive. So their facial expressions can be completely wrong and are just trying to bait me in a trap and use me. So now I want to tell some stories. So one story I have is called the eye rolling but scratching it story. So the story with this is I was at a speed networking event and I swear to God I thought he was rolling his eyes at me. So I respectfully keyword being respectfully called him out on it and said hey did I do something wrong? But turns out he said no I was scratching my eye. And he when I looked at it he really was and I thought totally though he was eye rolling but felt bad. I apologized but he helped me out. So definitely a story to remember. Another one I have is called the Bombarding Mom When She Is Busy story. So I did have my mother on my show and see 105 Meet My Mother for more information. But one I thing I like to do is when she's busy, I like to bombard her and not realize it because I have to tell her, I feel like. And I'm trying to work on not bombarding her, but so hard when my body itches to literally tell this thing that is really important to me. Another one is dad's knee surgery time when he was hurting, bring up stuff that is not relevant at the moment story. So I did have my father on my show and see 113 father and son chat, but he just recently had a knee surgery replacement. But when he was hurting though, I had to be the guy to bring up stuff that was not relevant at the moment. And it's not that he didn't care, he was just so much in pain that the only thing important to him was the knee surgery. And I tried my best to really help him out by making it better. And another one is the time to get serious stories. So I like to consider myself a funny person. I think I am. I don't know if I am, but I think I am. And I like to joke around a lot. That's just who I am. Problem is, though... I can't get out of the funny zone where I just keep joking and keep joking and keep joking, but I can't find the shift of, okay, we went from funny now, we gotta be serious now. I'm trying to. It's more developed than it once was, but it's not fully developed. The tools you can use is music videos and movies or TV shows. So what I'm trying to summarize up is the media because the media can be good and bad, but one good idea with the media is they do have a great way of expressing facial expressions and because they can tell you how they're feeling, it's obvious. You don't have to play flute to figure out, okay, they're feeling this. So this can tell you, and you can use what the musicians, the actors are feeling, and take that knowledge with you and utilize it when you're interacting with someone else. And from a personal standpoint, you should really look into professional wrestling and see the WWE specials 154 to 158 for more information. But WWE has really helped me been able to read facial expressions because that's another one. Oh, that's obvious. They're obviously mad right now. And they're obviously happy right now. And they can switch it but that you could still tell it's a whirlwind of emotions but it takes me on an emotion journey where i can understand and the last thing you can do is watch conversations without talking because you can study and examine without speaking and sometimes it's better to say nothing than something so if you can follow them though and really look into it without saying a word 
chances are you can probably do better when you're talking to the next person. And sometimes people on the spectrum simply think that what they think is more important, but other times it's really me not being able to read the full room. And it has happened before. I've probably done that a lot where it's been me, me, me. Hey, I'm the center of attention. What I say is important. Sorry, I can't help it. But really, I can. And there have also been times where I really cannot help it. So that's a hard thing for the parents to determine is can they help it or can they not? I think you have to do that through getting to know your child and how they are as a human being. And I think it's also brainwiring. Yes, it's hard to not say what I want to say. And if I can't, it really becomes a metaphorical itch on my body. Not a physical where it's a rash, but a metaphorical where my brain is literally itching and I can't hold it. And however, a person who is high functioning has to work on it and can get it. And there's a tip for those who are high functioning. Simply be silent. Be silent until you can say what you can say. And while it's not probably the most rational, it's probably the best reason that I have been able to do and can think of. And I'll tell you from personal experience, it's worked for me. So definitely give it a try if you're up to par for it. Now I want to give you more of a visual understanding of how facial expressions are different from everyone. And to show that, look at the second video below. But not to worry though, because I'm even going to elaborate more on my tools involve the media that actually helps. And to show that more, look at the third video below to see how Google Glass from Stanford Medicine Wall Lab is helping Aspies read facial expressions. Now the next facial expression is gestures. It is a type of non-vocal communication in which specific observable physical actions are used in place of or in addition to words to convey certain messages. Gestures might involve the movement of the hands, face, or other body parts. The reason why I don't like it is it's distracting. I think sometimes when you move too much and it's just all over the place, you're looking kind of like a fool and you're like, and I'm like, uh, okay, is the point to move your hands or to speak? Because I'm just wondering about that. And with gestures, I'm scared to speak. I'm scared to speak because I can use them and it's also intimidating because I'm afraid if I do the wrong gestures, I'll get made fun of, which has happened before because in my next story is the English 9 too much gesture story. So during a speech I had to give, I did too much gestures and I got made fun of. And I know it's because my friend who was in the back told me they really did. And I believe me, I know he ain't going to lie to me for that. But I think it was partially them because they were just jerks. But I think it was also me doing too much gestures. And my next story is I knew somebody used to flap their arm story. So... I knew a child flapped their arms. And for the longest time, I thought he was on the autism spectrum. I ain't gonna lie. But it turns out I didn't know kids also do self-stimulation. So definitely parents, don't wet your pants if they're stemming because that's something every child does whether they're on the spectrum or not. Now, if it does it constantly when they get older, yeah, you might need to go see a doctor and see if they do have autism. But either way, you'll still love them and they'll still be the same person. One tool you can use is what I call blind spots. So in driving school, they say, make sure to check your blind spots. Well, I'll tell you, when you're communicating, don't check your blind spots. And the reason being is you can actually use them and you don't have to focus so much on the gestures. You can focus on the words and maybe some gestures, but just don't look at every hand movement and follow the hands. And another idea you can do is join them and actually, we had someone do this in C203 playing around with Jack Mason Goodall but he is a play therapist and he will join them while they are doing hand gestures and doing what we call stimming which means self-stimulation and to see an example of stimming look at the fourth video below to see our pals the autism family demonstrate what the main five hand stims are the third part of non-speaking communication is paralinguistics according to Wikipedia it is a part of metacommunication also referred to as vocalics used techniques including prosody pitch loudness intonation and others to transmit emotion or to modify meaning. The reason why I don't like this is sensory issues. In C123, sensitive feelings, more information. There are some still loud noises that I don't like. I don't like some loud noises. I like a lot of them, but not all of them. And one of them is the teacher yelling in the classroom. Because in my opinion, 
it does work because it damages your vocal cords and it works a one time because the kids will stop for the day. The next day, it's a cycle all over again. I guess what I'm trying to summarize is I don't like loud noises that don't really have a point to it. And to me, they sound the same because get the cookie sounds the same as get the cookie. I don't see a difference when it happens. I think, oh, well, okay, you're communicating. I don't know why you're screaming and yelling at me when in reality, we don't need to. You could just simply say get the cookie. They do sound the same and it's very hard to tell what it means when I hear double trouble and I don't understand why it exists. I don't understand why we have to get mad at each other and yell at each other to get something. I get why we have to get mad. That's a human emotion. I don't get why we yell and scream louder to put anything in the meme because it doesn't work sometimes. There's no point of doing it. And that's just from a personal opinion. The stories I have for paralinguistics is the first ones I used to hide in the basement fireworks story. So every time, very young, I remember hiding in the basement. They were too loud. I was very scared. And I was trying to go in there and play We Play and it didn't help much, but it worked to an extent. I also have called the airport-like play stories. So I am a motivational speaker. I do have to go into airports, and believe me, I do not like airports. There's too much sensory overload, too much going on in one place. And mom, too loud in classroom stories. My mother, I did have my mother as a teacher, and I'll be honest with you, she was very too loud. And I think the loudest teacher I ever met, I get that it has to be done sometimes in order to teach, but you don't have to go that loud and amputate it to a thousand decibels. And we also have the basketball buzzer story. I think we know this one pretty much. I remember saying 101 Sam stories, but I'm pretty sure that I read time I heard a basketball buzzer to this day I think of I've evolved pretty far because each time I did I would go from not wanting to to actually now being able to go to basketball games where I can actually enjoy the time now some tools you can use are some noise canceling headphones I know that works really well I've heard that kind of decreases the noise a lot and I've heard headphones for music because that one helps me from a personal standpoint because I know music is a tool and as we said earlier it doesn't help with just the facial expressions but the communication as a whole as well and additional idea you can use to help your ASPE is visual augmentative communication. A little more about visual augmentative communication. Look at the fifth article below. The next one is to combine is body language and posture. Body language is movement based on non-speaking communication that can be done consciously or unconsciously. And posture is the way a person holds their body when they are sitting or standing. The reason why this is a challenge is because it is scary. It is scary to see someone cross their arms and act powerful. So when they are doing that and not meaning to or realizing it, yes, it is very scary because you don't know they're mad and also i'm afraid of getting judged because of the way i stand or still now it's not as big as it was once upon a time but it still exists and that's why i get scared posture and body language but it's mainly with the posture now the stories i have for this is i thought a friend was grouchy due to body language but just did not feel good stories so once upon a time i was trying to make a friend and i don't think we've hit it off since then but i thought she was very grouchy i thought she was just not happy to see me. I just made her mad and I just ended at that. Well, it turns out she explained to me later that she didn't feel good that day. So she wasn't mad at me. She was just very ill. And then I also have the airport girl that liked me, but I completely blew it story. So story with that is I was traveling again, doing my motivational speaking at the airport. And while I was going on the shuttle, I see this very girl who was very flirtatious with me and I didn't see it, but she did like me. However, I completely blew it because I didn't know. I wish she would have said it then flirted around. There's also the texting but doesn't tell me stories so this is really with relationships and c104 making friends again that grow for more information but i have trouble with relationships and a text to me doesn't answer the question are you my friend i need evidence because you could say you're my mother you're my father you're my grandfather all you want but it doesn't prove it i need evidence to back it up to show that you really truly are a friend and that you 
really have a special place in your heart for me. Or maybe not a big one, but a little spot at least. A tool you can use for body language and posture, it is going to take time and practice because practice makes perfect, as they say. And the more you practice your body language and your posture and looking at it, see what it means, the better it'll become. Now, I don't think it will be perfect, but you'll understand it more and more and more where you might have some issues just here and there. And it only takes time. I think it's with maturity too. The more mature you become, the more that body language hits you in the head. Another idea you can do is to be direct with them and see 102 honesty versus bluntness. An idea that might work is if you're unsure how they are feeling is to be direct and ask because if they're looking mad and it's body language and posture and you don't know, ask them like, hey, are you okay? Is something wrong? Did I make you mad? Or is anything okay? And I'm sure they would appreciate it and they would have some gratitude towards you because they know that you at least care. And that's something that we all want to feel is someone actually has a heart for us, even if it's not the biggest. To see though how most people on the spectrum view body language, look at the sixth video below to hear fellow autism advocate Paul London explain what body language means to us. Our next non-speaking skill is proxemics. According to Wikipedia, it is the examination of how people use space and how population density affects how they act, communicate, and interact with one another. Now, the reasons why personal space drives me crazy is we're being babies because I think sometimes personal space can show that you are a big, humongous crybaby if it's not the appropriate space and which to me is maybe three feet to five feet is the personal space bubble because after that that's too much also i have bad depth perception so a fun fact about me is i literally went to a doctor and they told me i had bad depth perception because to me type of guy who's gonna hug people and as i said in my making friends and getting that girl episode i'm a hugger but now you're taking that away from me i don't think that's right it's not you don't get to determine that i wish you could but i don't think it's fair for you to determine if i'm a hugger or not now i get you have personal space but can't we just hug you for one time just to make you feel important it's not to be mean it's just to be a nice human being now my stories i have is what i called the person who I once knew crowded me story. So I knew someone who had no personal space bubble and every time he talked to someone, they had to take a step back. Now, typically I'm not that type of person, but I had to take a step back because I couldn't talk. I couldn't even move the breath of air that I was taught kept hitting me back in the face so I did have to take a step back and I feel bad kind of doing it but I needed my bubble I was like uh buddy little too close for comfort and I also have crowding uncle in a truck story so my uncle was driving down the road and I was driving down the road with the side by side once upon a time had and I crowded him I didn't mean to but I crowded him because you know when you drive vehicles you gotta be on the one side of the road or on the back gravel well I drove and I in my opinion was not close at all to him but in reality I was like about to smash his truck and I didn't see that though because I didn't think I was that close and that's going back to that depth perception and then I also have pool with friends swimming got too close story a lot of times when I used to go to my old neighbor's pool and they had friends I crowded them unintentionally they had to tell me like hey dude take a step back and I didn't do it on purpose I didn't mean to but I had to be told hey take a step back man you're like hovering me you gotta let me breathe man and they also have saying too close to teachers hugging stories so as i mentioned i was probably a bit of a teacher's pet back in the day where i hugged them and i cared about teachers too much well not all of them wanted my hugs they said okay like you two hugs a day or whatever but you can't latch on to me some tools you can use are visual aids because visual aids are very helpful because it tells you the depth and you can examine okay i'm too close or i'm too far i could take a step or i need to take a couple steps back to where i can actually let them breathe and feel a sense of comfort and not have to be mean and I can actually be like, okay, 
we're cool. But then I, another idea I have is I need an explanation. I mean, sometimes even though that we have our own personal space, there's someone out there who probably has a bigger personal space and I need an explanation of, okay, listen, I know you don't have a big personal space, but I do. So you need to take a couple of steps back. And typically if, if we're a good Aspie, we'll step back because we don't want to make you uncomfortable. It'll be kind of odd for us to do, but we'll still do it. And the reason why it's odd, and this is kind of a crazy idea, but it's a crazy question to ask. It's like, uh, can you take a step back? That's like, um, okay. Well, why? Because I need bigger space. It's like, okay, but how much bigger space do you need? Do you need me to step all the way back into my car? While it's reasonable to you, I'm just wondering if it's unreasonable to me because of the way it's asked. Now, if it was asked the right way, okay, I get it. But the weird and wrong way, we might take offense to that. But now I'd like to mention the phrase, when you meet one person on the autism spectrum, you met one. I say this because each person on the spectrum does not only have their unique traits and differences, but they also have their own space bubble too. I personally do not have one now as I get older, but I know someone else out who is on the autism spectrum. Their space bubble is the size of a big event stadium. So I think they could literally have the space bubble where you're going to tell like, hello, 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 hello. How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? Well, great. And that's so true because they might need that in order to feel comfortable where they feel like they can have all the room because I think with me as well, I could be a bull in a china shop and I need all the room to move or otherwise I might kick something or break something accidentally. The speech therapist, I think the best way to teach Aspie's personal space is social stories. So if you look at the seventh and eighth video below, you can hear two amazing personal space social stories. The sixth, non-speaking communication, is eye contact. This happens when two people look directly into each other's eyes. Eye contact is a non-speaking communication technique that has a significant impact on social behavior. The reason why it drives me crazy is from a personal standpoint, I think it is stupid that society looks at that and that is, gives you a big picture of who they are because I do not need eyes to hear you. We have ears for that, people. I think we can utilize our ears to hear because eyes doesn't mean you're not listening to the person. That just means you're wandering around and trying to keep focus because it's hard to look at someone in the eyes and it can be very, very strenuous. So my stories for that is it's always the lowest during AR, AR presentation stories. So I do motivational speaking as I've mentioned a lot before but during the presentations what's interesting is eye contact is always the worst during those because I feel overwhelmed trying to look everyone in the eye when I'm really trying to look at my mother because I'm like I don't know what to do I'm kind of nervous here how do I look everyone in the eye so it's very hard to do if there's lots of people. And my other story is looking at the camera story. So fun fact for someone else, I have never looked at the camera. And the reason being is I was so focused on what else is going on. So you want me to look at the camera and that's reasonable to do, but how am I supposed to look at the camera if I'm here? Oh, hey, son, what's this? Beedo, beedo, everywhere else around me. That's not humanly possible. That's too much to look at. And I want people to be quiet so I can focus on the camera. But it's not the Sam Mitchell world. So I think parents, if they're not looking at the camera, they're not looking at the camera. It's fine. You at least still get the picture. Am I not wrong? The biggest tool I have for eye contact for the spectrum is awareness because I think this is not going to be solved. I don't know if it will be. But what I do believe is there is awareness we can do is we shouldn't make someone feel awful because they cannot look into the camera. I think there's other things we can be looked at and seen upon as, okay, that's odd. And not looking at the 
camera should not be looked at as, okay, that's odd. He has to look at the camera because there's awareness to it. And I think that we need to not look at someone's eye contact. Their lack of eye contact might make up for another part in their punctuality. Let me give you like a little simile to show you how hard eye contact is. So trying to make eye contact is the same as someone doing a thousand push-ups because try to do a thousand push-ups. That's pretty easy, right? For anyone to do. It might take some time, but it's possible. Okay, now try making a thousand eye contacts to one person. Yeah, not really the easiest thing to do. I can't even imagine doing it. So why are we looking at that if it's the same as someone doing a thousand push-ups? One can argue that it is possible because I just said a thousand push-ups is possible, but I don't know with those on the spectrum if doing a thousand eye contact movements to one person is possible because I can't even stare at someone in the eye for a long amount of time because I get so distracted. Might be able to do if it's in a quiet room, but adding noises and chipmunks squeaking on yeah, not humanly possible. Good luck with that, my friend. Now, since I am not a doctor or a scientist, look at the ninth article below by actual scientists and doctors that explain the science between autism and no eye contact. Our next part of non-communication of haptics is a subfield of non-speaking communication that deals with touch-based interactions between people and animals. The reason why it drives us crazy is it can be overstimulating. The way it describes this is from the game Dumb Ways to Die. And one of the dumb ways to die is you do not hit the red button because if you do hit the red button the earth will explode. So if you touch our red button, we explode. And it can be very overstimulating where it's just too much to handle that our button got pushed. And it can accidentally touch in the wrong places because as we know, most Americans, let's just say their junk and their backside is a no-touch zone. But it still gets invaded unintentionally. But sometimes those on spectrum will try to touch their places and not mean to even if it's accidental and i'm not just saying it for high functioning i'm saying low and middle functioning because hey that's our space so definitely my advice is leave those body parts alone please because no one likes to be touched there and then another reason is germaphobe and this is a lot for someone with ocd and autism because they might not be happy with germs because they're afraid of getting sick so while it is a pain in the butt that they are germaphobes there's a better side to which means i think they're healthier than i am and then there's sycophobe which is what i am so since starting this podcast i have became a sycophobe where i don't mind touch but if you're sick stay the heck away from me because i do not want to catch a cold and i do not want your cold to affect my job now the tools you can have in my opinion is you could pick a poncho or a heavy duty coat or jacket because while wearing them may get you some looks i will tell you it definitely is a way to avoid touch because they're touching the coat and they're touching a piece of cloth and not your skin that makes you feel you're going to up crawl into a basement and then there's also your family now in my opinion i think it's important to hug your family you don't have to hug your buddies or your best friends but i think if you want to i think it is an appropriate time aspies to step outside your comfort zone and try not be perfect at it but try to hug your family because they gave you everything they gave birth to you they gave you life they gave you a home the least thing you can do with them is try to give them some affection now sometimes with those on the spectrum you have to not only earn our trust as i mentioned before but even our touch maybe that some people are not worth our touch and they do not deserve to feel our skin because we like to build bonds organically and the best analogy i can describe here is we have to organically build the bricks so we can create the bond in order to receive hugs and touches and pats on the back because it's not fair if you haven't earned it yet you have to earn it so that we can trust you and like okay this is a good person i trust enough to touch him let's touch we are like this because people can be so deceptive there's so much people in our life and my life that have literally used me and i hugged that did not deserve it so now because of that it kind of is a when one person does
does it, the whole world has to suffer from it. And I know it's not fair, but it's just the way it is because we can't really rely on words. You need to show us. If you show us with our actions, we'll show you with our actions back. I would now like to discuss something Temple Grandin once said. C-124 pictures on the ranch from Temple Grandin. And that is some of those on the spectrum like Deep Pressure. And she had a hug machine that helped her. However, you can have a hug machine of your own. Because if you look at the 10th video below, Richard Bilt made a hug machine for his grandson with autism. And he will show you how he did it. The final non-speaking communication outlet is appearance. It is our choice of hairdo, dress, and other aesthetic components. The reason why I don't like this is it's hard to know what matters and what does not. Because as a society, we say looks do not matter. Well, that's partial true, but it's also partial false. Because looks sometimes do matter, but I don't know what looks do matter and what looks do not matter. It's hard to find that line and I'm working on it still, but I still draw a blank with that line. And also, this is just from a personal standpoint, but I hate fashion. So when people say, oh, your socks match your shoes or shoes match whatever. And I'm like, uh, okay, I appreciate it. I don't understand why. But matching fashion is very confusing because I don't know what matches because they all look the same to me. And I do not understand the sluggish to fancy line. So there are some fancy clothes out there. There are some clothes you wear at home and there are some clothes you wear out. Yeah, I don't know which one's which. I am going to do my best to tell you what they are later, but I still am not sure if it's right. And it's uncomfortable. I don't understand the comfortable clothing why they make them show restricted because I feel like when I'm comfortable with fancy clothes I feel like a penguin because I'm, my arms are attached to my side I can't lift my arms really well and I don't know how penguins put their arms to their side all the time because that would be really hard for me to do because I couldn't read the only thing I could do is really flap my arms I guess like a penguin but that's it I don't know how else I could really stretch it out to an extent now my appearance stories is first what I like to call a dress up once a year story so I'll be honest I'm not the guy who dresses up very much often I'm probably doing it more ever the only time I promise you will see me dressed up is when I'm doing my gala and that's probably the only time I'm ever going to be that fancy or if I am it's because of a speaking gig but as far as dressing me up and if you want to see me dressed up your butt better be the gala or otherwise you're going to see me in a regular clothing outfit then I also have the missed high school prom story so there are two reasons why I didn't go the main reason was I didn't want to feel the exclusion feeling c118 push you the side for more information but the other reason why I didn't want to go is because of the clothes I didn't want to feel restricted I want to move freely and dance freely freely if I was going to go to the prom. If not, then I was like, there's no point in me going because all I'll be is like, uh, yep, okay. I'm stuck here. Can't reach my arms. And then there's the bow tie story. So one other fact of mine is I hate a regular tie. It drives me nuts. It's too uncomfortable. It's just too clippy on my neck. But what works is a bow tie because you can tie it right and you can still have your freedom to move your head and your neck. But a regular tie, I don't think that gives me any freedom. Must be very sensitive with that. Hint, hint, wink, wink. The tool I have for appearance is substitutions because what you're envisioning may not be exactly what you get, parents, because what we're going to wear is what we're going to wear a point now if you want us to dress nice we understand that we can do it but there's got to be some substitutions and some bending because you may not be able to expect someone on the spectrum to wear a tuxedo they might miss their prom but you can't expect them to be wearing a tuxedo if they do not like that but they can substitute there's things out there now these days that are like tuxedos but are not tuxedos so there's other options you got to figure out what clothes are second place to the place that you're going and a problem i have with nice clothes is there a puzzle to put on there's buttons and you're asking oh is this the right button oh is did i put this oh is this where the zipper goes is there a hole is there supposed to be a hole here but i mean you have tons of questions that you can't answer because the clothes don't give you the answers and they're a puzzle to put on you have to figure out all these certain items and personally i'm not trying to be lazy but i would not worry about that because i'd rather just slip on my clothes and go to do what i need to do versus dressing nice and trying to figure out where everything goes because it takes too much time of mine. And I think there are a lot of better things I can do with my time than worry about putting on some 
fancy clothes that take too much time to deal with. Now, as promised, I am going to tell you my styles, but before I do real quickly, I just want to let everyone know that everyone on the autism spectrum has their own sense of style, and they could keep that sense of style every day. If they want to wear the same clothes every day, let them within reason, and if it's the same type, let them wear the same type. If it's swimming trunks to school, it's swimming trunks to school. So these are my styles now. My styles, if I'm trying to be sluggish, t-shirts, shorts, no matter how cold or warm, and as I would say, I'm barefooting it. Now my style going out. T-shirts, pants, or shorts. I look at the weather. I am reasonable with that. Socks and tennis shoes. My style when I'm dressing up. A polo shirt, khakis, regular socks, and dress shoes. That is mine, but there are others. And if you look at the 11th video below, Purple Ella is going to explain what those on the spectrum like to wear within reason. Now, I'm totally sorry, but I forgot the story of Haptics. The story I have with Haptics is the hugging tutor turned friend story. Now, this is a story because this is one of my friends who was my tutor, but is now a really good friend of mine. But basically, when we were in a session, she wanted to go to the band room and I was completely okay with that but she was upset about something I don't know what and at the time for some reason I was thinking about Marvel Avengers Endgame and I wanted to help out so when she came out not one word was spoken not a word because instead all I wanted to do was help I guess they tried to use my power of hugs and she accepted it and I know she didn't need it, but I still wanted to be a nice person because that's who I am. And I was just trying to offer moral support because that's what friends do. Pies for forgetting, but that's where I could put it. But anyway, even though this is an issue and we have trouble with the main elements of communication, there are some solutions to not fix the issue, but to improve the issue. Some ideas are trust your instincts. Everyone's heard the phrase, go with your gut. Well, go with your gut because I'm telling you, your gut is mainly right. Because if you don't go with your gut, you're just going to back down the escalator and overanalyze. But if you go with your gut, you can straight shot up into space and you can fly on the rocket to where you have finally reached it now start over and you can keep launching rockets to where you finally get the fact that my gut is right i got it yeah another solution i like to offer is ignore the non-speed communication or as meg from family guy would say don't worry about it because what i said earlier that we need to focus on the conversing and the communicating well maybe i was wrong because maybe we don't need to focus on the communicating i have chosen to focus on the words only and while it has led me to some small hiccups created it's not letting to a big hiccup yet and it's probably not going to so maybe the best idea is to ignore the not speaking communication and focus on what the words are saying because the words can be as more as powerful but they're still powerful and still a part of the interaction that is going on between the person with autism and the person who does not have autism the final solution i have is practice small talk skills because sometimes for those on the spectrum small talk skills are big talk skills because as they say they make a good first impression that's what we want to do we have to make a good first impression by starting off the conversation right and we want to make a lasting impression by exiting the conversation correctly and how we communicate in the middle is important too but how we communicate in the beginning while not speaking and exiting while not speaking is important too because i know it's always important to shake someone's hand that impresses people but there's more to it as well so definitely work on small talk skills and small communication skills because you never know it might change your life and it'll probably impress the person and next thing you know they're asking you to do some great stuff at the end of the day in conclusion yeah 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 no i'm kidding around but in conclusion communication as my college professor would say is the social construction of reality some communication is unexplainable at times it is even condescending i do like sending a message when the message goes correctly when it gets misread i do not know how to get the confetti untangled we live in a world that is based on human interactions so while we are not the best at it we are doing the best we can we will always work on making our communication better than the previous day but everyone else needs to be more accepting by cutting us some slack and see that we are only communicating the way we know 
know is best. Well, folks, I think that's all for today, and I hope you learned something about communication. I want you right now to go help and ask me with their communication skills. Thanks for joining for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming very soon. Hope you enjoy listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. Thank you.